guys, so my podcast today focuses on social movements and media. The question I'm asking today is, how is the media evolving in the wake of the Me Too movement? So, for those of you who aren't aware of what the Me Too movement is, it's, um, it's a movement basically bringing awareness to sexual assault that many women have been facing for many years now. And it originally started from a series of workshops that were started in Alabama in 2007 by Tarana Burke. She wanted to bring awareness to sexual assault and highlight the fact that many of these women who are experiencing these awful, awful acts were not alone. There were many other women who shared the same experiences with them and they were willing to stand together. So she had been helping with these workshops for a long time, but the hashtag itself, the hashtag MeToo, went viral in October 2017. And within the first 24 hours of the use of this hashtag, it had been retweeted half a million times. That just goes to show how prevalent this issue is and how many women were facing this issue in the workplace and in their daily lives. Um, I was doing some research before I started this podcast and I found an article called Reckoning with the Silences of Me Too. And this is by um, this is by Ashwini Tambe, and it's on page nine one ninety seven. It said that within the first twenty four hours, it had been retweeted half a million times. According to Facebook, nearly fifty percent of U.S. users are friends with someone who posted a message about experiences of assault or harassment. Again, that just goes to show just how prevalent this issue is, and just how de- deeply rooted in our society sexual assault and sexual misconduct are. I'm not saying that that's right, obviously, but I think that this just goes to show just how ingrained it is in our daily lives. Um, So after the Me Too movement started, there was a wave of action in which many of these top-level executives um, were accused of sexual misconduct, sexual assault, in order to exert power over their subordinates. Um, So the beginning of the downfall of these executives began with a story published by the New York Times on director Harvey Weinstein's history of sexual assault. Um, So he went to jail, he was prosecuted, and then after that, many top executives were fired, suspended, or resigned immediately, but others have gotten away with a mere slap on the wrist. So just because there was tremendous progress and um, quick turnover with some of these CEOs and executives, not every single one of them was given the treatment that others were. So a lot of them got away with what they did even in the midst of this movement. Um, The next thing that I found while I was doing this research is something called the Shitty Media Men List. Yes, that's that's the name. That's the official name. I was a little bit surprised at first, too. Um, But the Shitty Media Men List is basically a master list of men in journalism who were accused of sexual assault. And this whole spreadsheet was composed by a woman named Moira Donegan. And something that I found really interesting during my reading was that Moira Donegan has faced constant threats since publishing the list, and she only had it live for 12 hours before she privatized it again. 
I guess I'm not sure if that's the right word, but before she um, made it private again. So this um, fact that she was facing these constant threats and she still is since publishing the list, this proves her point about the dangers faced by women in these fields. There's constant threats for not being um, subordinate and not being willing to go along with whatever is expected of you, even if that's cruel or inhumane. Um, so I did some further research because I wanted to know about some of these figures in media in particular, because that's what we're going to be focusing on today. One person that I found is named Lockhart Steele. He was one of the first people to be fired after Harvey Weinstein in the wake of this movement. So Lockhart Steele was the editor director of Vox Media, and he was quickly fired and permanently replaced by a woman named Melissa Bell. Um, the next figure that I'd like to discuss a little bit is Mark Halperin. He had um, multiple news companies cutting ties with him after multiple allegations of sexual assault. And then after that, he was replaced by Alex Wagner. Um, next, we have Michael Oreskes. And he is the head of NPR and a former New York Times editor, and he was replaced by Nancy Barnes. So obviously there has been a lot of examples of these executives being replaced by women after being terminated because of allegations of sexual assault, which is tremendous progress. But this is not the case in every situation. Obviously, many of these high-level executives are still doing their jobs without any substantial consequences, which is a really big issue that we should still be focusing on. But I think that much of that progress is still to come because this is a recent movement. Um, so now that I've given you, you know, all this information that's kind of hard to absorb at first, um, basically just on the origin of the movement and some of the consequences that executives in the industry are facing, I want to share some of what I learned from my discussion with Chip Linscott and Carrie Love, both of whom work at Ohio University. I was lucky enough to speak with them during their tour of the Grid Lab at Ohio University, which focuses on virtual reality. So I asked them three questions. First, I asked, how is the media evolving in the wake of the Me Too movement? A lot of times news has been controlled by particular entities with certain cases like, well, we have to do this because this is the, the majority of the population and this is what they're going to read, but it was through a particular filter. And now that we have this access, there's a lot more big data to reflect that, no, there are millions, if not billions of people who would tap into this if given a chance. And so those arguments are starting to fall apart, which opens the doors for new people to be able to have a voice Definitely. in news organizations. Um, also, access would be uh, somebody with no connections, but who gets is able to capture their moment on the cell phone, is able to mm -hmm. upload it, and all of a sudden it's overnight, and everybody can see this atrocity or injustice Definitely. that normally would be just sort of rumors and dismissed, but mm -hmm. now we've got hard evidence. So there's access on several levels in terms of society dispersing this control. Mm -hmm. um. I think that's a great point. Like, so, so there's a, a sort of looking at it in the, the critical way that Carrie brings up a, a really excellent other side to this and that a lot of people globally and locally, even if they don't have a car 
you know, something like that, they, they may have cell phones, right? So like something like the Black Lives Matter movement, entire cases have been brought, you know, like homicide cases against police officers because somebody happened to be around with a cell phone that ordinarily would be like, well, the cops were versus the bystanders or whatever versus a, a victim. And, and so, yeah, being able to upload those kinds of things to, to social networks and to YouTube and that kind of thing immediately, that's a huge deal. Absolutely. Um. And finally, I asked, how does this new technology help with these movements? I think everybody, how to say this, I think everyone's really nervous because they don't know what it, the, the final conversation is going to be because the rules of language that we can use or how we approach things is changing so quickly and it doesn't mean that that truth wasn't always there it's just that's not what society defined as okay is how to handle that truth um and so everyone's hypersensitive sort of a pendulum swinging and it's going kind of far and i'm not saying it's gone too far because there's still so much injustice out there but really nobody knows where it's going to land mm -hmm. um and so as a result i think people jump on bandwagons pretty quickly mm -hmm. but that might not be a bad thing in sort of a course correction definitely thank you yeah i mean if i had to add anything i would say like those same people that carrie's talking about who control the news, you know, the, the male masters of the universe, so to speak. We've seen a lot of them fall. I think that's a great thing. Um, and it has a lot to do with the access that people have to having their voices heard on things like social media. Whereas if you write a letter to the paper in like 1985 and you're like, hey, this very wealthy and powerful man sexually assaulted me, they're like, whatever, or the story gets killed because mm -hmm. he is wealthy and powerful. He owns um, the newspaper. Exactly, <laughs> or his friends do, right? Yeah. Um, and so we've seen a lot of that come out, you know, even from decades ago, and, um, and, and that's a really incredible. So I know that we've heard a little bit from their perspectives, but I thought that I would at least discuss my personal take on it, maybe give some food for thought, and it's up to you whether you agree or disagree with it. But um, I think that media tomorrow, not from a technological standpoint, which is mostly what they were focused on, but I interpret it as media that's more accessible for all groups. So from a socioeconomic status, not everyone is able to afford top-notch media. They can't afford high-quality phones or high-quality internet, which makes media pretty inaccessible to a lot of rural America, not, not only our country, but many parts around the world. But I know as someone of the Appalachian region, a lot of my community doesn't have access to these technological tools. So I think that media tomorrow will also mean accessibility to more people in the world, um, which I think will make a great difference because that way awareness is being raised for all groups of people, not just those who can afford it. And then also accessibility in terms of internet that is accessible for people with disabilities who can't always use the tools that we take for granted. So I think that the development of different tools that aid the disabled will be very good in accessibility for, again, all groups of people. Because in order to raise awareness, we all need to be able to access the internet. Um, and then another point that I would like to make about media tomorrow is that I think that media tomorrow means more opportunities 
for diverse groups of people. Throughout history, we have seen a lot of the same figures, which are white men, and they hold a lot of positions of power, but I think more and more in recent news, we're seeing diverse groups of people, so people of color, women, LGBTQ people, all sorts of groups, and it's really, I think it's really impactful for people to be able to see figures similar to themselves on TV. So I think that media tomorrow also means diversity and more equal opportunities for all groups of people. Um, our next question was, how is the media evolving in the wake of the Me Too movement? So I thought about that not only from the way we cover stories. I think that in the past, um, there's been too much insensitivity to minor or not minorities, but marginalized groups in society. And I think that the Me Too movement is bringing awareness to how can we better and more appropriately cover these stories? Like, how can we give them the same respect that we're giving other groups of people? But I think that the media is also evolving in that, again, we're seeing more diverse groups of people and we're seeing people who look like ourselves, which I think is so impactful and so inspiring that way. You know, the youth and everyone really can see people who look like themselves and see, oh, this is an attainable goal for me. If this is something I want to pursue, then I can pursue it. There can be people like me in these positions. Um, my last question that I wanted to focus on in this podcast, how does this new technology help with these movements? Chip Linscott and Carrie Love actually both touched on this, and I thought that their commentary was quite insightful. Um, with the progression of this technology, again, there's more accessibility for people who have not been able to access it before, and it's also going to change the way that we can tell stories. There, things like virtual reality are becoming more interactive, which has been shown to help with empathy, so people interacting with this virtual reality are going to be able to better understand the experiences of those different from themselves. So virtual reality is really putting people in the shoes of other groups so that they can really live their experiences and see firsthand. So I think that that is going to be a really impactful tool and one that we can use, honestly, just to make, um, t to help everyone become more understanding of each other. I think that that's one issue that we're facing pretty frequently because it's very difficult to understand what other people are going through if you've never lived that experience. And this new technology is really going to show firsthand what it's like rather than just listening to someone's experiences or seeing third person footage. This is first person experiences. So I know that that's a lot of information to digest, but I hope that you'll give it some thought. Um, I really hope that you enjoyed some this podcast, and I really hope that you learned something. Thanks for listening. Once again, this was Julia Weber for the Scripps High School Journalism Workshop. <laughs>